podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Yeah, g'day, Trevor. Thanks for your time today. Uh, just wondering, uh, given the sort of strong Sheffield Shield performances, was this one of the easiest squads you've ever had to select? Yeah, it, it wasn't that difficult. I, I, I think um, most of the uh, selections or positions that, that have, um, or people that have been included in this squad, uh, probably it, it virtually spoke for itself. And we, we saw a lot of very, very good performances with, with both bat and ball. And uh, that gave us a, uh, you know, a clear indication of who we wanted to select for the test squad, but also gave us a lot of options for the Australia A squad as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. That was the chairman of selectors, Trevor Hone, speaking after the test squad was announced last week. I'm your co-host, Andrew Mensel, and joining me is Paul, the summer game, Dennett. Paul, how are you? Good, manners. Very good. Uh, I was driving here idly thinking that part of my excitement for the upcoming summer must be due to the fact that the layoff Australia's test team has had, which is what now, it's going to be around about 11 months by the time that they end up going. I was thinking, when was the last time there's been an 11-month gap between test matches? And I actually haven't come up with the answer. So what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll tweet the answer out from Cricket Unfiltered. When we finish the podcast, I'll confirm it. But I have a feeling it may be 1971-72 that we've got to go back for that length wow. of gap. Um, you know, if you look at the tweet and it says 2009 or something, well, then this is not quite as interesting. But um, um, this 71- could be the worst tease ever. Yeah, exactly. in 2017 they had a gap of. <laughs> but um, in 71, 72 they had five unofficial test matches against the rest of the world because the South African um, the side was cancelled. So uh, even that it was kind of it's almost an artificial situation. Maybe back into the 60s that you've really got to go to to find out when we had the Australian test team not in action. So something to look forward to. <laughs> Definitely. All right. In this edition of Cricket Unfiltered, we are joined by Ben Horn, the chief cricket writer for the Daily Telegraph in Sydney. We're going to dive into all the cricket headlines, including some controversial Big Bash rule changes. And then we're going to wrap it all up with Can't Let It Go. So joining us on the podcast now is the cricket writer for the Daily Telegraph in Sydney, Ben Horn. Ben, it has been so long since you've been on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Manners and Paul. Um, yeah, it's good to be back on. Looking forward to the season getting underway. And what a big season we have in front of us now. Uh, there's been there's been a... <laughs> an outbreak. An outbreak in, in Adelaide. Um, how is Cricket Australia handling that? You, you and Peter Law have been writing about it in the, in the Telegraph today. That looks like that... Poor old CA can't take a trick. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, Adelaide's probably the last place anyone thought that uh, we'd have an issue like this. It was sort of the the most bankable of all the grounds that they'd planned to play test cricket this summer. Yeah. Um, so, look, it was a pretty chaotic day yesterday, um, more so to do with trying to manage the start of the BBL and the one-day series, which starts uh, on November 27. The test match, whilst obviously a concern, uh, that wasn't anything they were sort of jumping on yesterday. and. We sort of see today on Tuesday the um, uh, there's only one new case in Adelaide on top of the 17 from the day before. So uh, that's good news. Um, you know, they might not be out of the woods yet, but, um, you know, at least things have stabilised yeah. a bit on that front. So at this point, you would still expect to see the test in Adelaide, December 17. But, yeah, the more immediate concern was uh, getting players where they need to be uh, to try and get ahead of potential border closures. So... Cameron Green, Ashton Agar from Perth, Matthew Wade in Tasmania, Marnus Lavashane in Queensland, and uh, Kane Richardson in South Australia. I think there's a push on to, to get them to Sydney as soon as possible. They're meant to be in camp from Sunday, but uh, they won't take any risks and uh, try and get them there today. And then the Adelaide Strikers BBL team uh, were on a flight this morning to Coffs Harbour, 
so they can spend the next two weeks there before the Big Bash competition starts in Tasmania. If they hadn't have gone now, uh, they would have had to do two weeks quarantine in Tasmania. So, um, so this at least allows them to train and live as normal, um, despite the fact they, they won't be at home. It's it's sort of a better option. So, yeah, chaotic day yesterday. But, look, so far I think cricket's got on top of it pretty well. This is an, another example of New South Wales kind of being a little bit more flexible than other states, that they're allowing these players into Coffs Harbour and into Sydney when uh, potentially other states would be wanting, um, you know, 12 days self-isolation? Absolutely, yeah. I think the New South Wales government's um, shown a very mature attitude to the virus the whole way through um, and, and have, you know, really, I know Queensland got a lot of credit because they uh, they sort of saved the AFL season, but yeah, New South Wales is the state that really has let uh, the sports sort of uh, run their business and is trusted in the biosecurity measures that they've got in place. So um, they've, they've done a fabulous job and uh, as we know, they're going to host the whole um, uh, one day in T20 series uh, and, you know, if something did happen, with any of these other venues um, during the test series, you'd have to think Sydney's probably the favourite to uh, to get an extra test. So we'll see how it all plays out. That'd be Menace's greatest fantasy for every single game <laughs> to be played in Sydney. <laughs> I mean, it's Sydney's become the the heartland of Australian cricket now. We've got the WBBL here. We're about to host the Indians in a, a slew of games. Uh, it's almost unprecedented. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's great for uh, the public here, particularly because there wasn't a whole lot of football here this year, particularly the two AFL teams left town. There was rugby league, but uh, for a large part, not in front of uh, crowds. So uh, it's good, I suppose. You know, New South Wales hasn't done it as tough as Victoria has, but, um, but uh, you know, things are opening up now and, you know, it's good for sports fans to be able to get out and enjoy. I think the capacity for the SCG is about 23,000. So uh, across four white ball games, um, you know, they should, should go pretty pretty long way to selling those tickets, I reckon. Absolutely. Uh, what are you interested in um, coming up this summer in the, the Test Series and the ODIs and the 20 over stuff? Well, you know, what's sort of bubbling away that's piqued your interest? Oh, I think most of all to see Will Pekofsky and Cameron Green debut uh, would be great. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's all going to happen in the first Test, but I'd be disappointed if... Uh, you know, at least one, but probably two of those two don't get a crack during the summer. Um, you know, I think it'd be great for the game to have these two exciting players thrown onto the scene. And, you know, there's a big Ashes series next summer. So getting them some experience at international level, I think, would be good. So that's probably the biggest thing. Really excited to see them play a test match. And, um, you know, India is always a great, uh, great team to have out here. There's a huge amount of uh, onus now on the first test with Virat Kohli going home after that one. So the first test is going to take on greater significance than what it usually does. And, you know, as we know, it's a, it's a huge pointer to who wins, goes on to win the series, but this year even more so. So, yeah, I think that's going to be great. Um, interested to see how the Big Bash goes as a travelling roadshow. Um, that'll be interesting. You know, it, what will the Hobart Hurricanes versus Adelaide Strikers be able to muster up in terms of interest in, in a, at the Gabba, for example. So that, that'll be an interesting test for the BBL. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be a great summer. You know, hopefully um, hopefully things do continue to improve, uh, notwithstanding this latest speed hum in Adelaide. And, you know, we can get some get some crowds and, and things to feel a bit normal again. Justin Langer's kind of indicated his support still for, for Burns at the top of the order. Is that perceived, do you think, as something that he's genuinely, if he had to pick the side himself tomorrow, that's what he'd pick? Or is he just trying to show support for an incumbent player? Look, I think it, it is important to note that that test is still a month away. I mean, it's very, very early that they've picked this squad. Obviously, they've had to do that for yes. COVID reasons and um, to give names to state governments and, and whatnot. But it is unusually far out to have the uh, the team in place. I do. I think Justin Langer is genuine in what he's saying about incumbency. You know, he, he's that kind of person. He's he's loyal. He's come through that system in Australian cricket uh, and suffered from it or, or benefited from it himself, where he barely played for about five years. You know, just sort of cutting his teeth there around the team. So uh, I do believe him on that front. That he's he's very genuine about that. Um, I wouldn't say that that rules Pekofsky out. As I said, I think there's still a long way to go. Um, you know, they they want to try and protect Pekofsky as much as possible from uh, from the scrutiny and the, and the speculation. 
And, you know, I think a lot will come down to uh, this tour game. I'm not saying it's a bat off necessarily, but uh, if, if it is right that they're favouring Burns, if Pekoski made a big score in that game, I think it would be very difficult, despite everything that they're saying, to keep him out. So I think it's still very much a live issue. I, I sort of, yeah, I totally uh, understand their reasons for for perhaps swaying towards Burns at this point. But, you know, it hasn't really taken into account exactly what Pekoski's done this summer, which is, you know, which is incredible. So it'd be a big call to, to uh, turn down someone who's, who's put up those performances. Yeah, and I guess, unfortunately, Joe Burns had a pretty rough start to the Shield, so he didn't really do himself a lot of favours, whereas you look at someone like Matt Wade, who sort of got Cameron Green, you know, breathing down his neck, Wade comes in and makes, you know, three good half centuries in, in tough conditions. We kind of need to see something from Burns soon. Yeah, look, it's a tricky one with Joe Burns, because I think in the past they have um, made the wrong decision with him. Um, he should have gone on that Ashes tour last year, and uh, he'd made 180 in his previous test and then didn't make the Ashes. And I think there's this, probably a sense of regret about that or a sense that they probably have, you know, they have jumped too quickly with him. But as you mentioned, in terms of just the, the circumstances for this summer, A, he hasn't really performed so far in the Shield. And B, we haven't had a test match since January because of the pandemic. So I think it would be a different story if Joe Burns's last test was was in July or August or something as it was meant to be against Bangladesh, I think the incumbency thing takes on more significance because they've played recently. But when you haven't played for 12 months, I think it does open the door a bit to, to current, a bit more to current form. And uh, as I said, you know, Pekowski's form, uh, not just this summer, but he's shown now over recent years, uh, suggests he, he is a high-class player. And... Uh... I heard you speaking the other day about Cameron Green's bowling action. Uh, potentially, you can characterise it, but you, you sort of alluded to the fact that it didn't quite hold up to the rigours of match play. Oh, look, yeah, what I was saying was uh, after speaking to Western Australia's bowling coach, uh, Matt Mason, that that's just what they're worried about at this point. Because they've put so much work into changing his action during the year, um, he's doing very well with it in the nets and training and all that, uh, and for the most part in games as well. But there was a couple of instances in those shield matches where uh, the pressure was on and, and um, you know, really grinding in the contest where Green and Mason felt like perhaps um, a bit of those um, frameworks were lost a bit. You know, as you, as you sort of get into that kind of, oh, I need a wicket or need to do this, you, you can sort of forget those things that you've put in place. So that's just, that's the concern that they've got is that if Green is in a test match situation, you know, suddenly if, if the heat's on and, and uh, Australia's desperate for a wicket, it's, it's a defining moment in the match, then everything that uh, has been put into how many overs he bowls and how to restrict him sort of goes out the out the window a bit. So that, that's just the concern that they need uh, him technique-wise to, uh, to stay strong even when... Um, you know, even when the pressure's on and, you know, you're sort of not quite thinking about exactly what you've practised at training. Ben, I'm interested if you've got any opinion on um, Mitchell Starks, the, the the viewpoint that other players have about him. He's He got a bit angry the other day when Neville declared on him uh, when he was heading towards his maiden first-class century. Um, he had a, a bit of a, um, a stoush, not, probably too strong a word, with Labashain in, in, in the earlier Shield games. He seems a really steely character, someone I wouldn't want to kind of get on the wrong side of. Is he any chance of ever being a captain, do you think? Um, interesting question. I mean, I, I guess um, the fast bowling, bowler as captain debate is uh, is on now with Pat Cummins. Given uh, Pat appears to be the, the favoured sort of person there uh, and the fact that Pat's younger than Mitchell, I'd suggest it's, it's probably very long odds. But um, look, I, I like that stuff from Mitchell Stark. It's what you want to see from a fast bowling. He's emotional. Um, you know, he gets angry. Um, it's exactly what you want, and, and the game needs more sort of raw emotion like that. You know, you don't you don't want sort of everything to be scripted. So, you know, I like that. I like the fact that Mitchell Stark was going to back himself to make fourteen runs in an in an over to get his uh, get his hundred. So he's always been a bit like that. He, he's always been emotional, and you know, um, I don't think you want to take that out of him because um, you know it shows it means something to him, and it, it's part of what makes him a um, you know a competitive force on the field. Um, and another sort of pie-in-the-sky one, uh, is there any chance, do you think, if, if the circumstances went in the right direction that um, 
Coley could come back for the fourth test match? Well, yeah. I mean, I, look, I've sort of tried to do the maths on this. Um, but my understanding is, despite the fact we have seen some celebrities, uh, in, including, was it Miranda Kerr's husband last week, come into Australia and not have to hotel quarantine, my understanding is that even in those situations, uh, those people are expected to self-isolate for two weeks. So there's no getting around that part of it, even if there is leniency shown for certain people with a certain amount of wealth that they can be trusted to uh, go and do it in their own private um, accommodation, that that is very strictly the rules that you have to self-isolate for two weeks. So um, that's impossible to do on a cricket field. So <laughs> even even with his private jet and his uh, and his millions of dollars, um, I don't think it's possible. And, you know, Coley would essentially the baby would have to be born basically before Christmas or certainly before the new year. And then he'd be on a flight uh, and, and perhaps then and only then he could squeeze in for the fourth test. So mathematically it's possible, but that baby would have to come pretty quick and um, he'd have to be prepared to uh, do two weeks in quarantine. He might have to do his two weeks on the Gabba. (laughs) Interesting that he was criticised in India for the decision to go home. Yeah, I mean, I think think probably it's been supported more than it would have been in the past, I must say, um, from from Indian people. I think... uh, you know, it's a it's a controversial one in the sense that he is so um, he's so competitive and he's put you know his whole life has been based on just doing everything for the Indian team. So I guess there's some element of surprise with that. Uh, you know, Sunil Gavaskar and Alan Border have admitted a bit of surprise that they they, they didn't think he would do it this way. But um, you know, others who know him, you know, spoke to Shane Watson recently and and he was um, quite confident that this is what. Virat would do, you know, very uh, devoted family man. He's so devoted the day his dad died, he went and played cricket. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that, I guess that's my point that it's sort of that that's a while ago now, and he's sort of there's been an you know evolution there. That's that's I think 14 years ago now. So you know, he has grown up a bit, and um, you know, I guess it's it's sort of what you expect from most players these days. Uh, not that there's any right or wrong decision, but you know, we saw Kane Richardson. Um, you know, he had a, a very lucrative contract over at the IPL, which he passed up um, to be for, here for the birth of his child uh, a month or so ago. So, um, yeah, with some exceptions, that's that's what you sort of expect to see now. Absolutely. And unfortunately, um, yeah, it's a COVID thing, isn't it? I mean, if if it wasn't for COVID, um, I'm sure Virat would return for the birth and then come back, and perhaps he'd only miss one Test match. But you just can't uh, plan for these things at the moment. Hey, Ben, the new BBL innovations have received what seems like a pretty lukewarm response. What's your opinion on on them? Have you heard of anyone who's um, tremendously excited about them? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not really. Uh, Not that I'm uh, probably friends with uh, too many kind of uh, BBL enthusiasts, but uh, I know... Hey, aren't we friends? (laughs) No fan, but um, um, I don't know. I I sort of tend to agree with uh, people saying that I don't think the game really needs it. You know, there's other ways to sort of boost... The competition, which I think they have done. I mean, I think credit to them, despite difficult circumstances, I think they've put together a pretty decent list of international names that are coming out. So, yeah, look, I, I, I mean, I guess it's a wait and see, but um, I've found it sort of confusing to read. And, yeah, look, I, I think if you can't, it's, if it's not something you can understand simply and quickly, then, you know, you possibly would have a couple of concerns. But, um, you know, I suppose um, in a year like this where there's other there's other factors at play and, and perhaps there's going to be other things missing from the competition. We saw the AFL um, were quite happy to experiment with a few things this year and the NRL too in terms of rule changes and things that, you know, if there is going to be a season to throw a few balls in the air, maybe this is the yeah. one. So see how it goes. Good stuff. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your valuable time today and joining us back on Cricket Unfiltered. I'm sure the listeners are glad to hear from you again after a break, and uh, hopefully we can chat again during the summer. No, thanks a lot, Manners and Paul. Appreciate it. You can find all of Ben's work at thedailytelegraph.com.au. We'll be back in a moment with the Cricket Headlines. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Great stuff from Ben Horn there. And let's get into the Cricket Headlines, brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. Paul, the test squad was announced last week, and we got it pretty right in the last podcast. 
There were no real surprises from what we predicted. No Riley Meredith, surprisingly. They did go for Michael Nisa. But I guess the big ones were Sean Abbott included in the test squad for the first time. Will Pukowski in again. Cameron Green called up for the first time. Mitchell Swepson called in as the backup spinner. They were probably the main talking points. Yeah, it's unusual to have a test squad announced and for me not to feel angry about it. I'm quite calm. Maybe when they eventually pare it down to 11, I'll have a reason to be to be annoyed. But it is pretty exciting to have Green, Pekovsky, and even Swepson in there. I mean, to, to credit to Swepson, he's taken his wickets this season uh, at an average of, uh, what is it, 21? Um, yeah, 21.17, 23 wickets. So fantastic effort there. But um. I, I'm fast becoming a massive fan of Pukowski. Pukowski, it's not hard to be given how um, promising he is, but uh, I, I can't wait to see him action, in action, and surely he'll open in the first test. Yeah, and no real surprise in the test squad. Great to see Sean Abbott there, very good bowler. So that was a test squad announced. Now the next headline, the Big Bash has implemented three new rules for this Big Bash summer. Before we get into the details of these rule changes, let's hear what Darren Lehman had to say about them. G'day, Darren. Great to see you back on deck in the heat uniform. Um, did, have you got any concerns that these rules are kind of complicating what should be a relatively simple game and you've got kids and families there and you're going to have to sort of pull out a book and try to explain to them what these mean? Yeah, it's an interesting question. You're trying to, with all the implementation of these rules, you're trying to make the game better. And time will tell you. You'll sort of review that fact over the 12 months, won't you? But you, you're trying to simplify. I get your question. I, I think it'll be quite easy once the game it, it plays out the first couple of times. It'll, it'll explain itself quite easy. But to start with, I know what you mean. We've got to try and make it easier for the fan. Um, we're trying to make the game obviously closer. See, so I've looked at this at all angles and trying to make the games closer and with some uh, innovation along the way, which is what BBL's been about from its inception year one. So I think we've got to just sit back, have a look at it and work out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Did, you know, you've, in your years of coaching the 50-over game, you've seen a lot of these things brought into the 50-over game where they move the power play around and stuff and never really seemed to fit in the 50-over game. Do you think it could go better in the 20-over format? I think so because of the the, the you won't have any dull dull time as such, you know, in the middle of... So a run chase, for example, when you, you, you're up against it and you need a couple of overs to get 30 or bring the field in and change the game a little bit after sort of 11 overs. So that would make the chasing a bit better for longer, I think. Again, who knows until we see it play out. But I think it'll make for more tactical decisions, especially when you're chasing or, or setting, for example, when you've got batters in. So... And the bowling side's got to adjust as well and save overs up for their best bowlers as such. So I think you'll find teams will use it differently and that'll be every franchise will find a way it works for them. The three rules are the X factor. So halfway through the first innings, both teams can drastically change strategy and choose to sub in their X factor player. The X Factor can replace any player who is yet to have a major impact on the match, i.e. hasn't batted or bowled multiple overs. So you could bowl one over, get hit for 25, and then get taken out of the game. Well, I guess we'll go through them one by one. What do you think of the X Factor? Well, I think that um, they're very ambitious in their quote there, that they said that the teams can drastically change the strategy. Um, now, so the idea is that you pick... Uh, you're allowed to have two that you can choose from. So let's just say you had a batter and a bowler, and then the game has begun and you've collapsed. You're batting first, you're five for 50 after 10 overs, you're into the the tail, and you think, well, we've got um, our eighth best batsman on the bench, let's bring him in and we'll have to sort of sacrifice a bowler. I wouldn't call that a drastic change of strategy. It's not as though you're going to be bringing David Warner off the bench. You're going to be bringing a sort of a, a fringe player off the bench that is, you're still going to be well behind But what if you game. get the pitch assessment wrong? But this is what Buff was saying yesterday. What if you realise it's a, a raging turner and you haven't picked a spinner? That's, that will also come into play. But again, it's like, okay, oh, we'll, we'll sub out one of our um, quick bowlers and bring in a spinner. We get four more overs of spin. I mean, the number of times that that will occur is probably pretty low. And when it does... I don't think it's going to take the front page off whatever the other topic the New York Times is going to be having on the front page. <laughs> like it's, you know, I, I actually, I, I don't hate this one, 
but I don't particularly love it either. And it, as with a lot of these, I think it's going to give commentators a lot of scope to make a little bit boring assessments and, you know, wide-eyed talk about they're probably going to be encouraged to, oh, I wonder if they're going to make a substitution. And, oh, they haven't made one. Oh, okay. But we, we had five minutes of meaningless speculation in the lean-up to it. Absolutely. And when when I've gone through the, the three rules, I do want to give you some of the rationale for Cricket Australia doing this, and it's going to drive you mad. Like, I'm expecting you to jump out the window. We should say, we are, we're not going to be all that... We're not going to leave many roses out here. We're going to be pretty critical. Oh, but- no, I love the changes. <laughs> no, no, I do. No, you I don't. slept on it overnight. I actually applaud CA's initiative in, in making some big changes for this summer. I think one of these th- three rules will work. Two won't. And I think it's exciting. It's adding a new talking point to the, the summer and it gives us something to criticise, gives us something to be angry about. It's like the, the 100 ball concept by the ECB. It was polarising. It drove discussion. And and that's exactly what this is doing. When I arrived at the studios today, I saw a Cricket Australia official leaving with a big syringe. And it's now explained because the phone call I had with Menas last night, he was off his long run, bagging these rules like no tomorrow. Clearly Cricket Australia coming in, giving him him some thought correction serum, and now he's towing the company line. I I just think I don't (laughs) want to become one of those old fuddy-duddies that's like, oh, they've they've made a rule change and get all upset about it. I am about change. I'm about initiative. I'm about evolution. And I think... Broadly speaking, these are a huge mistake, by CA, <laughs> but, uh, I, but I applaud the, the sentiment. I mean, why would you listen? Why would you look at the history of cricket and draw any lessons from it and then make a decision based on that? Just throw it all out the door and come up with these crazy rules. And I actually think this summer, I cannot wait for the first game to start because we've got the power surge. So this <laughs> is number two. <laughs> Who isn't sick of the first six overs of a T20 where they smash everything? <laughs> so what they've done now is they've they've made the power play instead of six overs, four overs, and the batting side chooses when they can take the other two overs of what they're calling the power surge. Uh, and the power surge must be taken from the 11th over onwards. So now instead of getting like the 6th to the 10th over where they kind of consolidate, now we get from the 5th to the 10th over where the teams consolidate. Yeah, that's what. this is the one that really irks me. If they, if they, if they had kept the 6 overs and added another 2, I would be all in for this one because I think that we need more fielding restrictions in T20 cricket in Australia than, than less. But your point is exactly right. At the moment, after the sixth over, there is a lull. That first ball of the seventh when they crack a cover drive and then stroll a single and you realise, oh, the field has gone back. And a lot of viewers say, oh, well, let's just check out what's on another channel. Now, that will happen two overs earlier. And yes, you do get those two overs later. But if history has shown us anything, sides will tend to take it probably in the 19th and 20th overs, which are the two most exciting overs anyway. And that, yeah, they'll be a little bit more exciting because there'll be fewer fielders out. But I don't think that you're going to make up what you lose. And I just think that people, rather than losing a bit of interest after the, the sixth over, will lose after the fourth over. I would have much preferred it if they said, we're going to keep the first six overs and we're going to have another power play from 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 and 12 where only three are allowed outside. Um, and I think that would be much more a mitigator against easy singles. The bowlers wouldn't like it, but I could not care less. Yeah, I think there's been a factor where a lot of people have turned off the Big Bash after the six over and sort of flicked over to another channel and then they come back uh, for the end of the inning. So they're trying to stop that. But, but one of these three rules will work. I don't think that'll be the, the one. And then the final one. The bash boost because we really need bonus points in a T20 game. (laughs) I would actually like them to alter this to more like the Sheffield Shield points where we just get a a sort of fractional number of above, say, 150. You get .005 per run above 150. I completely agree. We need decimal points in this in this system. <laughs> so basically, now uh, every big bash game, instead of being two points for a win, uh, is three points for a win, and then there's a bonus point for whoever's leading after the tenth over of the second inning. So basically, at the thirtieth over of the whole game, uh, whoever's leading, uh, they're going to give a point, and it will be done based on what uh, the team did in the first innings. I mean. I could see how this could potentially make things more interesting. If the side was, say, after eight overs, 
going along quite nicely, but they were, let's say, 20 runs shy of where they would need to be after 10 overs with, with wickets in hand. We need to hear Mike Hussey come on and say, look, will they go for and get the <laughs> 21 in two overs or will they play for the three points? Well, I also look forward to when they ask the first time a captain or a coach says, and were you were you focused on that 10 over um, uh, bonus point to which they say, oh, no, we were just looking for the win. That's um, That could be a drinking game um, <laughs> that you play there. But I could see how I that could be. I would not be surprised if the first coach goes, what is there a bonus point available? <laughs> <laughs> the strange thing is that they are limiting the uh, the two over surge to start at the start of the eleventh over because if they made it that you could st- take that in the ninth over, that could coincide nicely with trying to get the um, the bonus point. You say, okay, we're going to go hell for leather now, whack it in the field, and we're going to try to smash it all over the shop to try to, try to get that bonus point. Uh, look, I don't mind this one. I think most games though it won't be a factor because the side will either be winning quite comfortably or losing quite. Uh, comfortably and it won't change strategy but occasionally it could make a bit of an impact my overarching thing is I agree with what you said a few minutes ago I don't want to be one of these guys that's negative because when the the T20 first came in the big bash I was like oh we're happy with the state-based competition why is this and they've proven me completely wrong so let's revisit this uh in a podcast in in January when it's all over and if it turns out that we're just talking about power surges and oh, mate, X we're, factors. We're going to love these rules. If that's what we're talking about, we should have a big, um, you know, we were wrong moment. But also, if that's not what we're talking about and these quietly uh, dissipate, then we should have a, you know, we were right moment. But also, as Horn said, if there's ever a season to experiment, it's this one. And I have no doubt that some of these rules will be a failure and will be looked on in that way. But I, as I said, I think it's great that they're doing something revolutionary. It's it's getting the blood going. People are, <laughs> are, are juiced up about these rule changes. Now, can I explain to the listeners why they're doing these changes? Because I have been speaking to CA to get the, the rationale behind it. And, and basically, from a Broadly speaking, they want to make the games more unpredictable to keep viewers more locked in on the cricket. Now, there has been some blowback from people like Harsha Bogley who say, you know, you can't pe- keep keep people interested in the cricket by doing other things. Can you read out his tweets? Um, he's gone, bit perplexed by the changes to the Big Bash. You add gimmicks if a product is in poor health. And once you start, two, li- two years later, you need more gimmicks. It's confusing to audiences. I'm just back from a spectacularly successful IPL and confer- can confirm the format is in robust health. And someone replied, ratings have been failing, so they're trying to jazz it up badly. And he's added... Are the ratings failing because the product is weak or due to scheduling, the duration, the availability of quality players? A vast majority takes time to understand a sport and its ebb and flow, its nuances. The great success of T20 is its simplicity. Totally agree with what Harsh is saying. You're agreeing with everyone today, man. No, no, I agree with what Harsh is saying because I think they are misplaced in what they're fixing. But they've sort of done everything this year. I mean, they've changed the schedule to be all at night. They're paid for all these international players to come in. They are trying to jazz up the Big Bash in the worst possible circumstances during a pandemic. Um, so they're trying to make the game more unpredictable. And and this is what's going to enthuse you the most, Paul, is it was explained to me that they, they want to make the game into quarters like the AFL because everyone in Sydney needs more AFL in summer. <laughs> so what they want to do is, oh, the first quarter is all about who will they sub out? You know, you don't want to wait to see who wins the game. Who will they sub out after 10 overs? So that's the first quarter. Then you've got the second quarter leading into the innings break. Then you come out for the third quarter. No, it's not the innings break. It's uh, the, the long break. The long break, yeah. <laughs> and then you come out to the, um, the third quarter. The premiership the quarter. premiership quarter. And, and there's a point on the line. It's the point quarter. It's the, the bash boost quarter. So the Ruckman and the Mormon and the Rovers, they're all getting juiced up. And then they get to the fourth quarter. And finally, after going through that, the X factor, the power surges, the bash boost, you get the game actually is on the line. So what they've done is they've made the game, uh, they've tried to make it more unpredictable to keep people from flicking the channel onto something else. Uh, and that's the, the rationale behind it. Uh, basically, a lot of games were being decided in the Big Bash early on. If a team lost a few quick wickets at the top of the order, they could never really recover. Um, but that's that won't change. No, no, we'll go. Could the X Factor? <laughs> Have you forgotten about the X Factor already? <laughs> you can bring in um, Henry Hunt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can sub out. Um, who can you sub out? You can sub out Brendan Doggett if this side is uh, have a, a bowling collapse and bring in Alex Ross. That's right. Fantastic. Has had a batting collapse and bring in Alex Ross. And that's, exactly. Yeah. 
So that's their rationale. They want to make the game into quarters because um, we all love AFL, so we all need quarters um, cricket. I should defend Cricket Australia. The, 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 the notion that they're trying to make it more like AFL is just our little um, uh, summary. They haven't actually said that. Um, that's their hidden agenda, I'm sure. Because they're, they're based in Melbourne. They've got to get out of Melbourne. They, cricket headquarters needs to move to Sydney for a while and be they're so enthralled to the AFL because in Melbourne it is all things to all people and they feel like, oh, we have to, to mimic what they do. Come up to Sydney, get some fresh air and, and, and move away from it. We're up here, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, fairly, a fairly minor sport. I, I like the sport, but it's time for, for cricket to come back to its, um, uh, the home of where the, it's been most dominant forever. I agree. And, and, and look, I'm going into this big bash season with an open mind about these rules. As I've said, one of these rules will stick. One of these rules will be a huge hit. Uh, the others won't. And I was alluding to it before, but I guess the only frustrating thing about these rules is that variants of these rules have been tried in 50 over cricket and were failures, especially um, the power surge or moving the power play over. It, it didn't really work in 50 over cricket and, and I don't think it'll work in 20 over cricket. Well, sides will tend to use it as late as they possibly can. That's the If, that, if that's the lesson that we learnt from the, the five over batting power play in 50 over cricket, eventually they had to limit it and say you have to use it before a certain time. Uh, and, and yeah, and the speculation of, again, hearing someone say, oh, maybe they should suddenly use their surge in the next couple of overs because they've got w- wickets in hand and exciting players at the crease, and then, no, they don't do it, and um, you've had to press mute. But um, <laughs> the, the one thing I'll say also, the substitute rule that didn't work in domestic 50-over cricket in Australia before was different to this one. This is an improvement on that. That one was um, you only had one, and you effectively were hamstrung by the whether you won or lost the toss as to what would happen. At least this way, with a, you can have a batter and a bowler on the bench, and you can kind of decide accordingly. But I still think most times it probably won't be used. Yeah, if I were to have an extra player involved in every game, I would want a straight 12th player who can bat a bowl, like a pinch hitter that they used to have in um, the domestic comp that didn't have to field. So you could effectively pick an extra batter or an extra bowler and you get more quality in the in, in the game. But uh, this, for me, is just a little bit confusing. But as I've said, I love innovation. All the kids out there are going to love this. All the 12, 13-year-old kids that are getting into cricket, they're all going to be about surges, boosts, and the X factor. So um, it's not for us, Paul. It's for the, the next generation. All right, before we leave the Big Bash, a couple of big signings. Um, Carlos Brathwaite has been signed up for the Sydney Sixers. I would say the most intimidating cricketer I've ever interviewed. Uh, I spoke to him after a Sixers game, and it was like talking to a giant. Yeah, I, I did as well. He was just um, um, charismatic as well. Um, fantastic signing. Fantastic yeah, great signing. signing. And uh, the other one is Nicholas Poran. He's going to the Melbourne Stars. So as sort of we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, the fact that the West Indies team are in New Zealand now having some quarantine issues over there. I don't know if you've heard, Paul, but they had a few issues with their lackadaisical quarantine approach. But now they are available to come in here after that. So we are seeing these West Indian stars um, gravitate towards the Big Bash, which can only be good for the comp. Yeah, definitely. All right, now the next cricket headline. The Sheffield Shield has adjourned for the summer break now for the Big Bash, and we will see it pick up, I guess, in February. And they're going to be playing domestic cricket right through until April. We're going to see the Marsh Cup and the Sheffield Shield being played in February, March, April. So that's adjourned. And after the first, well, some teams... WA, Tasmania and South Australia have played four games. Queensland and New South Wales have played three games. And Victoria have played two matches and done lots of extra training. Now, after the the first lot of games, Queensland are on top with 18.48 points. And New South Wales in second with 16.99 points. They're the two that have come out of the blocks strong. The two teams that would probably be disappointed with their return. Uh, Tasmania and South Australia both played four games but couldn't win any of them. And they do look probably the weakest two sides um, in the competition as well. Certainly South Australia struggling a bit. 
Now, the highlight of the last round of the Sheffield Shield was a record-breaking, history-making win by New South Wales. They were bowled out for 64 on the first day against Tasmania and bounced back to win the game by 145 runs. So New South Wales all out 64. They skittled Tasmania for 239. Then in reply made six declared for 522 with centuries to Larkin, Enriquez and Sean Abbott, his maiden first-class century. Mitchell Stark, 86 not out. And then Tasmania were bowled out for 202 runs. A dramatic turnaround, Paul. Just shows why they're the champions. Yeah, absolutely. I can't add more to that. Uh, magnificent to observe. There was one controversial moment in, in this game, actually. There was a lot of glove throwing in this Sheffield Shield match. So the first one was um, when Pete Neville declared on Mitchell Stark when he was on 86 not out. And Stark came off the field and blew up and threw his gloves everywhere. Do you think it was the right call from Neville's to de- declare on Stark at, on, when he was 86 not out, having never made a first-class century? Yes, I do, because ultimately he has to just say, what do I think is the best for the team? And, you know, obviously when you look at it, it wouldn't have mattered if he'd allowed Stark to get his century. New South Wales still would have won, but that's with hindsight. He wasn't to know that if he decided to uh, stay out there for a little bit longer and Tasmania finished with nine out, and he then thought to himself... I made the decision because I didn't want to upset Stark, um, that would be the wrong decision to make. And sometimes as a captain, you have to make the the tough call that will be uh, unpopular. So I I can't criticise him for it. I think it's the right thing. What do you think? I would like to criticise Neville and say it was the wrong call. It, It could have gone either way because what I find frustrating is I think Stark should have just been given an over or two from Neville, but it was getting to the end of play and they were getting into extra time and there was concerns that if if Neville gave him the extra time, then New South Wales wouldn't get a chance to bowl that night. And, um, you know, they went on to win the game. So I guess Neville got the result right. My only counter to that is Mitchell Stark is such a valuable member of the New South Wales team, having never made a first-class century. I think he should have just been at least given one over. Say, look, you've got one over. He's a big hitter. So that's my disappointment that he, he wasn't given the chance. The problem with that is that if you give him that one over... He's 98. And then it becomes even worse. <laughs> I probably would have leaned slightly towards not declaring if I was Peter Neville just because you'd think Neville's going to get in the nets again against Stark and it's not going to be pretty. Well, that, that again, though, that's, the, um, that, that's making the decision for the wrong reasons. What would you say if this was a test match? Would you have said the same thing? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think when when a player hasn't made a first-class century, 86 not out, you've got to give him a shot. You've got to give him a shot. Uh, it's tempting. Um, I don't blame Stark for being a bit upset, but I also don't I, I don't blame Neville for making the yeah, call. Yeah, it's hard to be too critical of Neville in this situation because yeah. he, he uh, got the win, they got two wickets that day, um, but it's a bit of a kick in the teeth to Stark, who's been such a, a great servant of Australian cricket and New South Wales cricket. And you know, New South Wales won with a session to spare, so the, they ended up having plenty of time. But it also shows the strength of character that Neville has to make a decision that he knew was going to be um, unpopular. Um, that, that That's a good asset as well. Definitely. All right, now, after the first um, block of Sheffield Shield matches, the leading run scorer is Will Pekofsky, 495 runs at the Misley average of 247.5. Then a youngster coming up in Western Australia, Sean Marsh, I think he's uh, related to Mitchell Marsh. He's made 485 runs at an average of 97 with three centuries. And then number three is Travis Head, 455 runs at an average of 65. Any others that jump out to you? Yeah, quite a few. I mean, Marcus Harris is averaging 118, so need to see more from him of that because his overall record is a little bit more modest, but that's great to see. And Enrique's averaging 67.6, barely got a bowl, only bowled about um, 10 overs. So it's hard to get much of a bowl for New South Wales, but he must be sort of not far away from, from the Test Match squad. Uh, Labashain, 59.6. Matt Renshaw's averaging 92. Matthew Wade averaging 70. Kawaja, 57. So plenty of batsmen scoring plenty of runs. Tim Payne, 156 runs at 31. That's Okay. Couple of that are three that are a little bit disappointing. Um, Curtis Patterson, 121 runs at 20. Uh, Dan Hughes from New South Wales, who scored only 118 at 20. And of course, the the main talking point, Joe Burns, 57 runs at 11. 
Then the leading wicket takers after that round, the first few rounds, Mitchell Swepson, 23 wickets in three matches with three five-wicket hauls. Tremendous stuff. Number two, Jackson Bird, 15 wickets at 25. Just a quality bowler, Jackson Bird. No surprise he's played plenty of test cricket. Another interesting talking point is Harry Conway. He took seven wickets at 29, but he's been included in the Australia A squad. And he is actually eligible to play international cricket for New Zealand. So I just wonder, leading into that Australia A fixture, whether he's going to have to make a decision whether he he plays for Australia A or he he decides to try and play for New Zealand. Yeah, very interesting one. It's a massive call to have to make either way. Um, Sean Abbott, rewarded for 14 wickets at 17.9, plus his runs being in the... um, Big in the test squad, Nisa's 10 wickets came at 24. Ashton Agar, a little bit disappointing, 10 wickets at, at 40. What about his brother? Even worse. Two wickets at 226. My my favourite bowler is out of a shocker. And your other favourite bowler, Riley, Riley Meredith, two wickets at 133. Pope, eight wickets at 86. <laughs> he cops some hammering. But I mean, I mean it, does, bloke. it does show um, how well Swepson bowled, given that even Lyon took nine wickets at 44. Um, that the, the, the spinners were not doing all that well. And, yeah, in the midst of it all, uh, Mitchell Swepson, leading wicket-taker. Cameron Green, two wickets at 37. Uh, not that many overs, uh, but a, a welcome return to the bowling crease for him. All right, that's the Sheffield Shield. And our final headline is the Women's Big Bash League is motoring towards the finals with just a few rounds left for each team. I went out and saw the Sixers slump to their fourth consecutive defeat on the weekend at Dromoyne Oval. Uh, So I really feel like the Sydney Sixers are at a crossroads. They had the potential a couple of years ago to build a sporting dynasty. Uh, They lost the final two years ago to the Brisbane Heat. They failed to make the finals last year. They've lost four in a row this year. They are a team with a lot of talent, but they are severely underperforming. And I think Elise Perry has to take a bit of the criticism for this one. I think she, at the top of the order, bats a little bit conservatively, and I think her sort of attitude's filtering down the team. I think they need to play a more fearless brand of cricket like the national team plays if they're to turn these results around. And the big team there to watch out for are the Melbourne Stars, captained by Meg Lanning. They've come out of the blocks really fast, and, and they might be on track to win the Melbourne Stars, their first ever big bash of any form, women's or men. The, the Melbourne Stars are historically the one of the most underperforming teams in Australia at 20-over cricket. Could turn that around. Hopefully not. I mean, it would be nice to... Um Keep them on their duck, uh, agree, for, yeah. just like Queensland. What was it? You know, um, from the nineteen twenties till about seventy years before they won a Sheffield Shield. It'd be nice if we could keep that with the Melbourne Stars in, in the Big Bash and the WBL. Yeah, I love seeing the Melbourne Stars and the Sydney Thunder lose. They're my two favourite teams to watch lose. That is the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. After the break, we'll be back with Can't Let It Go. Yeah, good day, Pat. It was compelling viewing watching you in the IPL come up against Steve Smith. Can you tell us what it was like um, in those contests? It seemed, you know, riveting stuff. And do you sort of feel like you've got the wood on him now? Uh, yeah, it was good fun. Um, I think that they were the only times I've ever played um, Smithy other than, um, you know, an interest squad game a couple of couple of times. So, yeah, it's, it's always that added um, bit of interest, I think, when you come up against your Aussie teammate. Um, each game there seems to be one or two. But yeah, yeah, got, got him, uh, got him twice. I'm, I'm not sure that will happen again. So yeah, I'll, I'll try and remind him about it in, in the nets. But um, obviously, very good player. So I'd be surprised if it happens again. Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. That was Pat Cummins there, the world's number one fast bowler. And I just want to remind you, if you've got a moment, go on and follow us on Twitter or Instagram or both at Oz Cricket Pod. That's A-U-S Cricket Pod. And if you've got any questions or talking points, email us at ozcricketpod at gmail.com. All right, it's can't let it go time. Paul, what's your bit of cricket news that you just can't let go this week? Well, it is a massive landmark in Australian cricket that no one's talking about. It's um, a 50-year anniversary since one of the biggest moments in the, the history of cricket in this country. And it concerns cricket on TV. We've all been kind of 
cultured to feel that the big moment was when World Series cricket began in 77, that up until then it was boring and then Channel 9 took it over and it was exciting. But the really big moment actually occurred 50 years ago when for the first time ever they had the technology and the desire to actually show the bloody cricket all the time. Go back to the late 60s, prior to satellite technology really coming in, there was means to show it from Sydney to Melbourne and back, but often they didn't bother. There was a time when the cricket clashed with the Australian Open and presumably the ABC only had a couple of cameras and they sent them to the Australian Open tennis, so there was no cricket from Melbourne shown at all. Australia um, playing in a test match, they didn't bother showing a ball of it. But come 70, 71, 50 years ago when satellite technology made it all possible, suddenly, ding, for the first time ever, the modern era arrived where... Effectively, with a couple of little, little, little exceptions, ABC, ABC showed the entire ball-by-ball coverage across the nation uh, into the big cities. So if you were a cricket fan, for the first time ever, you could actually follow the cricket on television in a meaningful way and not just two hours here and two hours there and loads of nothing. And that has changed the entire way that cricket was consumed in Australia. If that didn't occur then everything that occurred afterwards, the Kerry Packer revolution, wouldn't have occurred either. So half a century ago, um, in many ways, the modern era began. And it's What quite, was the first match? It was the first Ashes Test, Australia versus England at the Gabba, 70-71. Um, you can see that it was fledgling because they still had a couple of... Uh, the school year was still going and they still had a couple of minutes where they'd have to spend 20 minutes away from the cricket showing um, school programming because the schools were showing that to their to their kids at school. So you'd cut away for 20 minutes and then back and then again later on in the day around about 3 o'clock uh, just before the school kids went home, you'd cut away for 20 minutes of some inanity and then and back. But... It was a vast change, and, and by the end of the summer, it was, it was basically ball by ball in its entirety and a huge change from everything that had occurred before. Yeah, I guess you could say that the, the Big Bash rules are sort of on par with this kind of um, <laughs> sort of event, would you say, Paul? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, he's got no comment. He's flustered. <laughs> not flustered. I'm just amused that if we go back through this podcast, I reckon you've had about 11 different opinions on the rules, five of them sarcastic, five of them genuine. No, no, and one I of them... think they're great. Great <laughs> initiative by Cricket Australia. I'm all up for it. But, yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to work. Um, all right, now, my can't let it go is it was kind of a bit strange on the weekend, but uh, if you're not aware, so the Pakistan Super League was um, being played sort of, I think, March, and then they had to suspend the tournament before the finals because of the, the COVID outbreak. And then last weekend, they've actually got the teams back together and they're concluding the Pakistan Super League. And uh, Dean Jones's Karachi Kings, the team he coached to this final series, played on Saturday night Australian time. And uh, I, I, I watched it, actually. Um, they're streaming all the games live on YouTube. So I, I watched the Karachi Kings win in a super over. It was thrilling stuff. Uh, they beat the Molten Sultans, I think they're called. It was sad watching Dino's team um, playing. You know, they had like a cardboard cutout in the dugout of Dino, which was nice, sort of slightly macabre. But I was so glad they won into the final. And it, it's quite moving that, you know, that his last coaching engagement, that team's still in action. Mm, yeah, well said. Well, um, that is it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Paul, good news for you and the listeners. Jaleesa Apps is joining us next week for the show. Yeah, great to have her back. So, listeners, that's it for this edition. We'll be back next week with another podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.